0: Well, find uh, the book of Jonah, so go to the book of Daniel and turn over all six books and you'll arrive down at Jonah, one of the minor prophets. And we're going to look at the same well I'll be, I wasn't even thinking about what I was doing on the other side, <laughs> be upside down. Anyway, uh, we're going to look at the subject matter, running from God, we'll get you in a whale of a mess. And uh, I'll write some other stuff up here tonight as we go along. But uh, we're only going to look tonight at the first three verses of chapter one, and uh, the introductory material tonight will occupy a lot of our time. But uh, look at verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, the book of Jonah is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. What distinguishes a minor prophet from a major prophet? The major prophets would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Okay. What distinguishes the 12 minor prophets from the major prophets? The The size of the book. That's all. Mm -hmm. Okay? Most of the minor prophets are small little books. Uh, I think of a few, just one chapter. Some longer. Zechariah, Zephaniah. Amos, some longer, some very short. Uh, Don't get the idea in mind that the message of the minor prophet is less important than the message of the major prophet because it's all the inspired word of God. And so the distinction is simply the length of the book. That's why it's divided between major and minor. That's all. Now, how are we to look at this book? Because, after all, not everybody views it the same. Uh, I've written down some of the major ways that the book is interpreted. Some view it as a legend, a myth, like reading Humpty Dumpty, okay? That kind of legend. Just a a fable. Okay? Uh, Some categorize it as an allegory. An allegory. The fish is the Babylonian captivity that swallows up Jonah, who is at this point a symbol of Judah. And then the whale or the fish will spit him out again. So Judah going into captivity, 70 years, and then being set free at the end of that. Others teach that it's a parable. It's it's a story. Like Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. Uh, It's not historical. It's, It's a parable that teaches Spiritual lessons. That's the way some look at it. I think the only proper way to look at it, and I'll explain why, is that it's historical. That it records fact. Again, I think that's the only way to properly view the book of Jonah. Jonah was a historical figure, and this book records actual historical events. Write down 2 Kings 14.25. Because we find there, recorded in 2 Kings, that Jonah was the son of Amittai, that he was from a town called Gath-Hefer, G-A-T-H hyphen H E. P-H-E-R, gath Hefer, that he was a prophet, he prophesied to Israel, and he prophesied that under King Jeroboam, part of their territory that had been captured by the Assyrians would be returned to Israel's control. He ministered during a very definite time of attacks by the Assyrians and Nineveh, was their capital. But now, the biggest, not just the testimony of 2 Kings, the, the biggest plus sign in the category of the book of Jonah being historical would be what? Jesus.
1: Jesus.
0: Jesus. The testimony of Jesus. If you have trouble with the historical nature of Jonah, then you have trouble with Jesus. Jesus never doubted the existence of Jonah and the historical nature of the book. In fact, five times Jesus spoke of Jonah. Let me me just read one of those occurrences. Luke chapter 11, right? Luke 11, beginning there in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. That's just one occurrence. So, If you claim that Jesus is sovereign God, that he's Lord and Savior, which obviously he is, and yet that he was wrong about Jonah being a real character, then you have some problems with the reliability of Jesus. And if you have problems with the reliability of Jesus, then you have problems with the person of Jesus. Right? Uh, The scriptural testimony of Jesus is what? That he's fully God and fully man. Two natures in one essence. Theologians refer to it as the hypostatic union. Two natures in one essence. Again, fully human, fully divine. And so if Jesus is fully divine, then you can't turn around and say that he didn't know if, Jesus, if Jonah was real or not. Because as God, he knows all things. So again, I think the testimony of Jesus is the strongest point for the historical reliability of Jonah. Jonah. Now, interestingly enough, the point of Jonah that people seem to have the biggest problem with is what swallowed by the whale. Now, which is it? Is it a whale or a fish? It's a great fish. Okay. Actually, the Hebrew can lean either way. Doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. It could be a great fish or a whale. Obviously, a fish would have scales, a whale is a, a mammal. But again, the Hebrew's broad enough to include either. The Hebrew simply refers to a large aquatic beast. Now, I assume that it's a whale. That's the assumption I tend to make. For one thing, you know, a whale actually has an air cavity, comes up for air, and, and part of that air storage goes into an air cavity, and a man could have air there, you know. But it could have been a fish of some sort. Some believe that God made a special fish just specifically for this purpose, which He certainly could have done, because He's God. <clears throat> Or he could have just used a whale or a fish that he'd already created. Now folks, either way, if you believe Genesis 1-1, then you certainly should have no trouble at all believing that God could have prepared a whale or a fish for this. But you know, it's not even necessary to think that this whale or fish had to be one-of-a-kind, special type of animal prepared for just this. Because the interesting thing is, a man being swallowed by a whale, believe it or not, has even happened in more modern times. One testimony coming back from the the 1800s, the 19th century, a man off the coast of the Falkland Islands who was actually swallowed by a whale and when he was finally regurgitated up, the acid in the whale's stomach, his, his skin was like sunburned red and his hair had been singed off from the acid. Uh, rare, very rare that it's happened. But again, even in modern history, we have a few examples that, that this very thing so what am I saying? I'm saying we have no good reason whatsoever to doubt the historicity of Jonah, and we have good reasons for receiving the historicity of Jonah. They, uh, um, a while back, they
2: had on a history channel excavations in uh, in Nineveh, and I don't know whether it was in a release on the walls or something. But they had—it uh, sounds fantastic—but they had some kind of proof uh, uh, in the uh, release on the wall of Jonah's visit to Nineveh. It's weeks, really. Okay. But I—I I, 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 I I wish I had more detail, but that's all I could say. Yeah, I, I didn't see
0: that. Yeah. On the History Channel. In the History Channel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, what's what's modern-day Nineveh? Mosul. Mosul. Well, beyond all this, though, I want you to understand something very important. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah, primarily. The book of Jonah is not even about the whale. The book of Jonah is about God and God's compassion even for the wicked. That's what the book of Jonah is about. And so God is the focus of the book of Jonah. We need to remember that as we go through this book. The book of Jonah actually ties in with the scarlet thread of redemption that we see running all through the Bible. In Genesis 3, what do we find? Paradise lost. The man and the woman sin. Fellowship with God is lost. And this results in a fallen world, a fallen human race where everything in creation goes horribly wrong. And so we see God taking action to redeem fallen humanity. And the cross of Christ, obviously, is the center point of this redemptive story. And then by the end of the Bible, we see that those who are in Christ have paradise restored. We're in the garden. Bible starts in the garden. That paradise is lost. The end of the Bible, we're in the garden. It's restored. The book of Jonah fits very nicely into that redemptive story, showing how God pursues lost people. Because as the book of Romans points out, lost people on their own are not going to come to God. A lost person is not going to wake up one day and suddenly on his own say, I need God. Wherever a lost person is seeking God, and coming to God, it's because God is already drawing that person. Jesus said so in John 6, That anybody who comes to him, it's because the Father's Spirit is already taking the initiative to draw that person. If lost people are going to be saved, God has to pursue them. And what we see in the book of Jonah is God is pursuing the pagan Ninevites. Folks, when when people get saved, God is always the star of the show. Okay? He's always the one at work.
2: I also found that this book also has another driving thought in it that I think we ought to pay attention to and that is our response to God's call. Sure, and we're
0: gonna talk some about that.
2: That tonight. really, I think, uh, in other words, pay attention if you're getting an obvious call. I mean, He got an obvious call, but what about our calls that we receive from God, Sure. and we know of an opportunity that He is leading us to, and we refuse? Yeah. It's just like modern day today and everything. Sure. We're not gonna pay attention there's going to be a cost involved in that one way or another.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. Now, first of all tonight, look at the order. What do we read at the beginning? It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. What a great statement that is. You say, I wish God would speak to me that way. Well, the real question is though, if He did... Would you listen? Jonah didn't. But the fact of the matter is, God has spoken to us in His Word. In the beginning of the Bible, we see that the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God fellowshiped uh, with them. They sinned against God. The next thing we find is Adam and Eve hiding from God. God comes looking for them. God knows what has happened and yet what's God say? Adam, where are you? And, and so the amazing thing is God desires to speak to us and to fellowship with us. John 1.14 says what? The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And Jesus came. John goes on to say in chapter 1, Jesus came to communicate the Father to us. God gives us his written word, the Bible, and he gives us his living word, the Lord Jesus. Why? Because God desires fellowship with us. Folks, do you spend time with God? Do you spend time with God? What could be more significant than that? Think of this. God desired fellowship even with the wicked, lost Ninevites. As wicked as they were, he wanted to save them. Jonah didn't want them saved. Jonah didn't want them knowing the true and the living God. What did Jonah want? Jonah wanted them wiped out, but God wanted them saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says a tremendous thing. God's not slack, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish. As I've told you before, the any there is, is all nationalities. Jew, Gentile, that was a struggle in the New Testament to think of God saving Gentiles. It was also a struggle in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, remember in the book of Isaiah, God said the Jews were to be what? They were to be a shining light to the nations. The nations were to witness God's work in the Jews and be drawn to Israel's God. And Israel was to be a witness of that. But what Israel think? Yahweh is just for us. Folks, all through biblical history, people have struggled with the gospel going to certain people. We tend to think about the gospel going to people like us. That's who we want to reach. But God gives the Great Commission. Now, while the Great Commission is uniquely New Testament, there's also the sense in which it pulls. Pulsates on every page in the Old Testament. We see that God has a heart for the nations. Think about it. God desires fellowship with that person that you despise the most. Because God desired fellowship with the people of Nineveh, what's he do? He speaks to his prophet to send his prophet to them. He gave the order, arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. God's plan was to send somebody who knew him to those who don't know him. And folks, that's the way it still is. Read Romans 10. What's Paul saying in Romans 10 about this? how shall they hear? Unless somebody goes. But for somebody to go, they respond in obedience, they're sent, they go, they tell, people hear, as a result of hearing, they believe, and so they are saved. That chain reaction that Paul gives in Romans chapter 10, about going and telling and hearing and believing and experience in salvation. That's been God's pattern. <laughs> we ought to have a heart for those who do not know God because God has a heart for those who don't know Him. Folks, that ought to settle the issue right there in our minds. The fact that God loves people and wants them to hear His saving message ought to speak volumes to us. That's why we're involved in missions. Going to the ends of the earth. You, read, you get to Revelation and what do we see there in those worship scenes, the th- throne room scenes? People from every tribe and tongue and nation there. God's in the business of reaching the nations and sending people with the good news To reach the nations. God. Those those who know God. What I'm saying. People like you and I. As a way of life. And on purpose. Are to go to those who don't know. God told Paul. To move past the persecution. He was facing. When God was sending them into Corinth. You remember that story? Acts 19, I believe it is, 19 or 20. There was no church in Corinth yet. There were no Christians. And yet God appeared to Paul and said, I want you to go into that city, Paul, for I have many people there that I am going to draw to myself. There were no people there yet that knew him. And he said, Paul, I want you to know, don't worry about persecution, I'm going to look after you. Yes, you're going to face persecution and opposition. But I have many people in that city who will believe. As we go, our message can sometimes be a message of confrontation. At least initially. What was Jonah to do? Jonah was to cry out against the city. Now, what would have been a lot easier today? Go with some kind of feel-good message. Right? But that wasn't the task John was called to do. He was called to go and confront them in their sin. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, a preacher's got to do that today. You don't preach all feel-good messages. You preach the whole counsel of God. Some are feel-good messages, but some messages peel the skin back. You know? Sometimes God's people respond to the message saying, Amen. Sometimes they respond saying, Oh, me. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier to tell the good stuff. Sometimes we don't like telling the the hard stuff. You know, the old fire and brimstone preachers, they were the opposite though, right? They told only bad news without really telling the good news. Condemnation without much encouragement or edification. But again, for the faithful men of God, there's both. There's rebuke and there's exhortation. Beware of anybody who just tells you good all the time. Jonah had the task of telling the bad. He was to confront the Ninevites. Well, I want you to imagine how intimidating that would have been because these were none other than the Ninevites, the dreaded and feared Assyrian empire. It's said that the favorite pursuits of the Assyrian kings were war and hunting, Archaeologists have discovered that the Assyrians were absolutely brutal and merciless and savage when they would attack their enemies. And they were very effective at what they did. They they would burn cities. They would burn children and women included. They would impale victims on stakes They would behead their victims. They would chop off their hands and their limbs. Sometimes around their city walls, they would hang the the heads of their conquered victims. Who do you think of in modern times? ISIS, right? You think of a group like ISIS. Imagine an empire, the Assyrian Empire, with Nineveh as their capital being like what we would think of modern-day Isis. That's how the world viewed the Assyrians in ancient times. They were a brutal and feared people. And because of that, the Hebrew people had a deep-seated hatred and hostility of the Assyrians. They just wanted somebody to come along and destroy the Assyrians. And so obviously when God says to when God says to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, that's the last thing Jonah wants to do. I mean, even if they don't kill him. He might have been probably afraid of that, but even if he makes it and doesn't die, he doesn't want them saved. He wants them killed. He wants them dead.
2: God, don't we often feel like that today if we look deep down in ourselves? There are probably certain groups in this world right now. God just needs to do this. All day. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yep. But the search of God, I can't help read Jonah without thinking of another great parallel where God was seeking. <clears throat> we don't have that much information on but God gave the Canaanites 400 years to get their act together. Sure. Don't know much about it, how much of a parallel there is here, but it is to the extent Shows the the mercy of God. He gave them time. Absolutely.
0: To where they were absolutely without excuse. Absolutely.
2: Oh, quickly too, we were talking about bringing out a nice message that would tickle the ears. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is, believe it or not, a modern-day little electronic cube now with buttons on the front from Joel Osteen. Mm -hmm. And you can get you a quote of the day from the king of you know king of field trips. Absolute masterpiece, thirty nine ninety nine. I don't want that in your hand. Not a year
0: No, I haven't ordered it yet. <laughs> I want you to notice something at the end of verse two. Don't don't miss this. God knew. Somebody over here.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's his message of the sorry.
0: But notice at the end of verse 2. God knew about the sin of the Ninevites. That shouldn't surprise us at all. Their sin had come up to God. What's that tell us, folks? We don't sin in secret. God knew all about the sin and the evil and the wickedness of the Ninevites. You know, sometimes people think certain aspects of their lives can be, maybe this can be hidden from God. No, it can't. There's nothing hidden from God's sight. Now, there's an amazing truth here that I want you to see. The sin of the wicked and how much God hates that, is not incompatible with God's love for the wicked. The sin of the wicked and how much God hates that wickedness is not incompatible with God's love for the wicked. He may hate their sin and He will judge their sin, but He loves them and He's ready to forgive them if they repent and believe. Now, we can be glad of that. Why? Because that's our story too, right? God could have just sent a storm upon the Ninevites, some type of natural disaster even, and just wiped them off the map. God could do that with people today. So we can be grateful for the fact that God is a compassionate God. And again, His judgment and His love are not in conflict with one another. Well, second thing I want you to see the objection. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. You know there's a story, I know everybody's heard stories like this before, but story of a couple of guys out on an African safari and their safari guy dropped them off in the in the Bush, And they looked up and there was, and they drove off. The guys drove off and there was a pride of lions. And one guy gets his Nike tennis shoes out and puts them on. And the other guy says, What are you doing? So I'm getting my shoes on ready to run. You fool, don't you know you can't outrun a lion? He said, I don't have to outrun a lion. I've just got to outrun you. <laughs> If it's foolish to think, if it's foolish to think you outrun a lion, how much more foolish to think that you can run away from God? And yet, that's exactly what Jonah felt like he could do. Folks, we need to understand from this passage, we can't run away from God. If you're trying to do that, God can do some pretty awesome things to wake you up and, and catch you and turn you around. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah arose all right, but he arose to go in the opposite direction. Now interestingly enough, Jonah's name means dove. I want you to think of the irony in that. He hears the command of God and he takes flight. Nineveh was east. From where Jonah was, Nineveh was east, specifically northeast from Jonah's position. (coughs) Where's Tarsus? On the western coast of Spain. So the command of God comes to Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. And like one writer said, Jonah packs his bag, frantically packs his bag, opens the front door on his house, he looks eastward down the long, dusty road towards Nineveh and turns the other way and runs to go to Tarshish. He wanted no part of this assignment at all. Several things I want you to notice about the objection, Jonah's objection. In his disobedience, he, he misunderstood the nature of the will of God. He misunderstood the nature of the will of God. What did Jesus say about the will of God? That the will of God was like food that satisfied him. But to Jonah, in this case anyway, doing the will of God was like drinking poison. Jonah didn't want any part of it. He probably felt like God was asking too much of him. Do you ever feel like that? God, how could you ask me to do something like that? You know how I feel about him. You know how I feel about her. You know how I feel about doing something like that. How could you expect me to do something like that? He also felt like when it came to the will of God, he could take it or leave it. But Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not do the things that I say? Folks, the will of God is not something that God is asking human beings to get together and take a democratic vote on. People act like the will of God is something we we can take a vote. If we don't get the outcome we want, you know, we'll do a recount or something. You know, we'll just we'll just take a vote on it. I've got I don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. That's how some people view the will of God. Jonah forgot what a privilege it is to know the will of God and to have God's call on your life. Don't run from the will of God thinking the will of God is bad. you remember what Paul said about the will of God in Romans 12, 2? He said that you might be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect that which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what the will of God is. But again, to Jonah, it's like a drink of poison in this case. A second thing I want you to see about this objection. In his disobedience, Jonah... In his disobedience, Jonah still understood the character of God. That's a good thing. He still understood the character of God. Chapter 4 is going to reveal that even further to us. Jonah didn't want to obey God because he hated the Ninevites. He wanted them wiped out, as I just said a moment ago. He didn't want them saved. But Jonah knew that God felt differently. Jonah knew a very important principle. When we go and share Christ with people, some of them will listen, some will be saved. Everybody won't listen. Everybody won't be saved. But some will. Some will and God will show mercy on them. Jonah understood this, folks. It's not that he simply feared the Ninevites. Jonah knew that God would use his preaching to reach some of them. In chapter 4, Jonah is going to say directly to God, This is why I didn't want to go, God, because I knew that you are a compassionate God who is ready to save. Imagine hating somebody so badly that you would say, God, I never, ever, ever want to see that person in heaven. I hope they go to hell and burn forever and ever.
2: Well, it make you
0: wonder, why was he even <laughs> a prophet? <Yeah. laughs> Folks, Jonah wasn't afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success. Because if God gives Jonah success, what's that success going to mean? The salvation of the Assyrians. God, they don't deserve your love. But do any of us? Now notice something else here about Jonah's objection. A third thing. In in his disobedience, Jonah thought he could get away from the presence of God. What was a common thought back then in ancient times? Each nation has their deity. And get beyond the borders. Now Israel knew better than this. But some people thought, get beyond the borders of your territory and you, you get out from God's jurisdiction. But even as David pointed out in Psalm 139, if, if I go as far as I could go that direction, guess who's there, God. If I go as far as I could go that direction or that direction or that direction, guess who's there. God. Psalm 139. You can't run from God, Scott.
2: Doesn't Jonah kind of represent a corporate view of Israel too? At this time, <coughs> he is ours. We'll give uh, God to other sure. people if we wish, Absolutely. and they're on our enemies list. So yeah, uh, exactly. You know, forget about it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Jonah, like, Jonah wouldn't
0: have been alone in his hatred for the, for the Ninevites. In his well, a fourth thing I want you to notice about his objection. In his disobedience, Jonah went down. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the geography of Jonah is pointed out. He went down to Joppa. Later on we'll see he had gone down into the inner part of the ship. Then in chapter 2, we're going to read that once the whale swallowed Jonah, he went down in the depths of the sea to the roots of the mountains. And so what did Jonah do? He went down, down, down. That's the direction of somebody's life who is trying to run from God. You know, I'm sure there are men and women that could testify that at a time in their lives when they were in rebellion to God, they might, somebody might say, you thought you were being successful at first, but you realized pretty quickly you were going down and you ended up in quite a valley. But notice something else about his objection. In his disobedience, Jonah found his escape. What did he find going to Tarshish? A ship. Have you ever noticed when you're running from God, you oftentimes find out that Initially, things might work out for you. He found a ship going in the direction he wanted to go. If you're running from God, you can find friends who are doing the same thing. You know, we can get to moments in life and wrongly conclude that circumstances are working in our favor and then we might start thinking, you know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. After all, everything's working out for me to be able to do this. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do after all. Let me give you some modern day examples of this one. Here's one I can promise you any pastor who's been a pastor for any length of time has heard these before. It goes like this when somebody is leaving their spouse. They'll come and want to talk to their pastor. Well, pastor, I know what the Bible says about extramarital affairs. But it just seems like right as I was having trouble in my marriage, here was this other person and it seemed like God put them there in my path. If it hadn't been the will of God for me to be with this new person, then why would they have even been there? Here's another common one. I, I I know I shouldn't marry a non-believer, but I love her so much. And she loves me. It just feels so right. We just, we just think we were meant to be together. Even though I'm a Christian, she's not, or vice versa. She's a Christian, he's, he's not. It just feels right. It feels like what we're supposed to do. And here's how twisted that can become. Here's a true story, Okay? The chairman of the deacons stood before me and 22 others and we were deciding whether their church, a prominent church over in Charlotte, would be removed from the convention. And we did end up voting unanimously unanimously. To remove them from the convention so they, they thought they could then bypass us and go to the floor of the convention which is their right to do before all the messengers but you know what all the messengers felt the same way we did the executive committee but here's their chairman of the deacon standing before us a, a woman with her pastor, and then the third guy, I think, was their legal representation. And she said, it is my belief that God, God Himself, created me to be a lesbian and I'm in a lesbian relationship or marriage, she said, and I believe God created me to be a lesbian, she said, I believe that I would actually be sinning against God by not being a lesbian, because I would be denying how He created me to be. And they were petitioning us that they could stay in the convention. God gets blamed for a lot of disobedience, you know? Folks, God doesn't work contrary to His Word. God may test your commitment, He may test your obedience, but disobedience is not His will. Don't ever think that the breaking of the Word of God is the will of God. Please remember that. Don't ever think that the breaking of the Word of God is the will of God. God doesn't work contrary to His Word. Another another thing I want you to see tonight. In his disobedience, Jonah paid a price. He paid the fare. He found a ship going the direction he wanted to go. How convenient this is, he pays the fare, But now before it's said and done, Jonah's going to be sorry he ever saw that ship. But not only did he just see the ship, he paid to get on board. Now, folks, it's not the way disobedience is? Sin and disobedience cost us. Oftentimes, we don't, we don't understand how much it's going to end up costing us. What's the old saying about that? Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. <clears throat> and then one last thing. In his disobedience, Jonah must have assumed the will of God was supposed to be easy. Jonah would have gone in a heartbeat to his own people. But not the Ninevites. He he maybe he thought it's not supposed to be this hard. This, this is again this is too hard what God's expecting. But again, folks, I, I think of I've made some parallels tonight with Paul in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here was Paul. He was lonely, he was cold, and he's been deserted. He writes to Timothy he says, they've all abandoned me. Yet, was Paul in the will of God or out of the will of God? He was in the will of God. Jesus on the cross. There in the garden before that. Not my will, but your will be done. And God's will was for him to go to the cross. We assume that God's will is supposed to be easy. And you know, sometimes God smiles on us and gives us those opportunities where it's easy. But oftentimes, he gives us some pretty difficult things to do. The last thing in the world you may want to do is go and reconcile with somebody that you've been at odds with for 25 years. The last thing you want to do is reconcile. Or whatever else it might be. Don't assume that the will of God's going to be easy. ask you tonight, are you running from God? Has God asked you to do something and you're running? You need to understand God's commands and God's will is for your good. Are you living in disobedience and yet trying to rationalize that the circumstances are allowing it? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Just because circumstances may seem favorable right now, that can change overnight. But don't allow circumstances, don't allow feelings or what you think should happen to replace what God has revealed. Are you willing to do the will of God even if it's uncomfortable? You can trust God. God's commandments carry with them God's enablements. What do I mean by that? Whatever God calls you to do, He's going to give you the strength to be able to do it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but He'll give you what you need to do it. I could be talking to somebody tonight that would think... I, I just don't know if God loves me. When I look back across my life, some of the things I've done, I don't really know that God loves me. And I would say to you tonight to remember in this passage that God loved the wicked Ninevites. In Christ, there's hope. Okay, well we just covered three verses. <laughs> hey, but look at it this way. One of the greatest expository preachers of all times, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pat- pastored Westminster Chapel in London. Not Westminster Abbey, Westminster Chapel. When he died on Sunday mornings in the congregation, he'd been preaching through the book of Romans. He'd been preaching through the book of Romans for 13 years straight. And they were only up to chapter 12.
1: You could buy his <laughs> commentary. How many volumes? Oh yeah, his
0: Romans just... <laughs> we're, so we're, yeah. we're not going to be in Jonah for five years. <laughs> so don't, never fear. Any comments before we close tonight?
2: Well, Scott, can we really then, uh, like Jonah, say, God doesn't love members of BLM or Antipod. You know He does. But what if we get shoved in that direction, so to sure. speak? are we going to do it? Hmm. I don't know if anybody in here has positive... (laughs) A positive... But just think of it. One of the things, too, Tarshish, uh, on the southern Atlantic coast of Spain, do you realize at this time, too, he'd gone as far as he could go west to get away from the situation. You couldn't go out in the open ocean past that point, or you'd risk falling off the earth. In other words... With their knowledge and everything, he'd gone as far as he could go. He was literally back to the corner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that certainly says something about how far he was willing to go to get away from God's call on his yeah. life. he's going to risk falling off the earth. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, when, it, when it says,
0: I must have missed
2: it, when it said the word of the Lord came to Jonah, was it another prophet that told
0: him? Or maybe God spoke to his heart? I think God spoke directly to him. God spoke directly to John. He felt the pull.
2: This is what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. Yes.
0: Anything else? Okay. Let me go back over here. To this. <clears throat> <coughs> Who'll pray for us tonight with these in mind? Who will close our time? Anybody? Volunteer?
1: Okay. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to bow on this beautiful evening in your presence. We thank you, God, for life and for all the blessings you bestow upon us every day. Father, we lift up the names that are on our board up there on top of everything else they're dealing with, with COVID and all the silly government rules and all of that, God. Satan seems to be attacking them and in physical areas. And God, I pray even now that the needs of this person would be met in your perfect will. Uh, I pray especially for Mary Ann for surgery coming up, Lord. Uh, it's all in your hands. Uh, Mary Thomas, God, she knows that everything is according to your will and she's prepared, Lord, to accept whatever your will is in her life. And Susan Russell, the same way, all of these fine people, God, just leaning on you, they don't know what the future holds. They don't know what they're going to have to face. They know that whatever it is, God, you're going to be there with them. And God, we in this room, we don't know what we're going to be facing uh, based on the outcome of this election. Again, we pray, God, that you would put your man in office, that you would be merciful to america and god we ask give us another chance god we have failed you so many times by just being mamby-pamby christians and god and we pray that you would just give us another chance we pray that you would put your man in office that would most closely follow obs- father observe and follow your word i pray that during all this god that each one of us as Americans and as Christians have learned a lesson from this. We've been too quiet too long, God. As Pastor Scott said, when God speaks, are we really listening? Are we letting all the things in the world take up our time and our mind and and listening to each other and listening to the news and the radio, God, instead of opening your word and letting you speak to our hearts? God, and I pray that each one of us would just commit ourselves to be more to your word every day, God. I pray that we would be bolder to people around us. Yeah, It's great to our neighbors see us go to church and it's great the things that we do that we can do quietly that don't offend anybody. But God, I pray that you would just give us a boldness that we have never known before that every person we meet every day would not leave our presence without hearing the name of Jesus and how much he loves them. And I thank you, God, for your promises. And I know that whatever we face ahead with all the things that could happen, that you're going to be right there with us. And, Father, I've learned just this week that sometimes decisions are hard, and they hurt, and they hurt family, God. But I know, too, and I've learned so well that even at that, that you can give us a peace in our hearts, God, because we know that you're there to strengthen us every day. I thank you, God, for caring enough about lowly people to send your Son to die for us. God, may we never, ever, ever take that for granted. May we each day, God, when we open our eyes, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying me that I might be able to spend eternity with you. And I pray, Father, for anybody in this room that doesn't know beyond the shadow of a doubt that their home is in heaven with you because they have accepted and believed in you. I pray, God, that nobody in this room is playing a game, that nobody is, is just content to be just a, a person that comes to church on Wednesday night because they're supposed to. I pray, God, that you would break hearts, even in this room, God. Help us all to remember that we're soldiers. We're not bystanders and watching what's going on. We're soldiers in your cross, God. And I pray that we would each get up every day, put on that armor, and get on that battlefield, Lord, and tell the world how much you love them. Help us not to run like Jonah. Help us not to be reluctant or scared to say your name of us not to care about what people think, of God, because as Christians, we want to please you. We want to say do the things that you want us to. And in your word, Father, you've told us that when opportunities come before us to witness for you, not to be afraid, you'll give us the words, that you'll show us what to say. I, I've learned, God, that the most frequent thing that you've shared, the command in our Bible that you've said over and over and over, is fear not, do not be afraid. And that's what I pray for these group of people here tonight for our church and for America. Help us as Christians, <coughs> God, not to be afraid, but to be bold witnesses for you. Again, Father, we thank you for all your blessings and help us to live each day in humble gratitude for what you did for us on Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.